even with restaurants opening back up essentially after a year or so uh, for some they're still offering the same pay nothing's changed um, and and that's just a gut punch today on dirty linen we are breaking out of Australia yes you can get out of lockdown on a podcast uh, we are heading over to Seattle to an old friend of dirty linen Eric Rivera who came on the show in the very early days so a little over a year ago he is the owner of Addo in Seattle in Washington State Eric welcome hello how are you yeah, look, I'm good. Um, I'm really keen to get some perspective from you on the situation over in the US. I know that it's a many and varied tapestry, but also to catch up a little bit on the last year, you've been one of the most active and outspoken voices for hospitality through the pandemic. And yeah, I always appreciate your view on things. I'd love you to start just by giving us a little bit of a lay of the land. Um, what are things like for your restaurant and more broadly for the hospitality industry in your part of the world? Yeah, it's um, very different than it was the last time we talked. Um, I was only doing delivery and takeout. Um, now it's different where I'm actually doing dine-in, but extremely limited uh, seatings, uh, requiring vaccines from everybody. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's a different ballgame now. Um, so normally... I, you know, have an occupancy here of about 50. I'm only letting six to eight people in uh, per seating. Um, the style of service is completely different. Everything's spaced out. Uh, it's, just, it's just different. Um, but that's going to be permanent through my space here. And I'm actually in the process of looking for a smaller space now. Ah, interesting. And those six to eight people, are they from one party or they can be of different groups? Um, different groups, but they're spread out enough um, throughout the dining room that there isn't an issue. <laughs> Um, plus everybody has to show proof of vaccination, uh, before they even come into the place and upon entry as well. So it's, a, uh, it's very different than what people are doing. I mean, other restaurants, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with things. So when you ask for proof of vaccination, what's the mechanism for that? Is there an official certificate or is that a sort of mishmash of, um, yeah, cards and apps and that kind of thing? No, it's official. Like I want to see an actual copy. <laughs> um, you know, they can send me something online. We have a digital system through the state, so it, it allows you to kind of verify it through that. Um, so if, if I can see that, that's great. If it's not that system, then a physical card. Is your thinking with the vaccination, is that to protect your staff? Is that to protect you? Is it just sort of what you think everybody should be doing? I would say a combination of all three. Um, you know, on my side, that's the least kind of I can do to make sure everybody coming in and going out is as safe as they can be. Um, the curveball now is uh, the variant that we're dealing with, um, and we're spiking like crazy on that, um, and mostly through unvaccinated areas. So it's not necessarily something I have to worry about because I'm requiring vaccinated diners, but it doesn't mean that vaccinated people can't get sick. So it's it's just a... It's just another thing, you know, and that's kind of been the entire year of what's next, what's next, what's next. And um, a lot of people here, or even the government communicated that things were going to be back to normal after the 4th of July. And that let everybody off their guard. And now cases are, you know, a few weeks later, jumping up again because of that. So it's just, again, poor leadership and everybody wanting things to be back to normal when normal doesn't exist. Yeah, I feel like what's something that you've sort of been calling out during the whole pandemic has been the inequalities uh, and 
you know, particularly in the hospitality industry where people who are, I guess, more privileged and are able to protect themselves personally have been happy to, um, I guess, throw other people under the bus because they want to get, you know, there's this there's this intense back to normal drive. Um, do you see that that's sort of gone into a, a new stage now? Yeah, I mean, it's just people are traveling, people are going on vacations. I mean, we have cruise ships going around now here in Seattle. It's insane. Um, you know, people who are rich are buying second and third homes and <laughs> doing all these crazy things. Um, meanwhile, people in hospitality are, are still in the mix. Um, you know, bottom end of the spectrum of everything, even with restaurants opening back up essentially after a year or so uh, for some, they're still offering the same pay. Nothing's changed. Um, and, and that's just a gut punch. Um, there's been relief programs that have been given to restaurants and millions of dollars to people, individual restaurants, and there's no, uh, attention to changing anything. It's just going back to what they were doing before. I mean, what do you think is going to actually create change where, um, that where restaurant workers are valued more, they're paid better. Um, there's, you know, this sort of mis- there's this disconnect that seems to be what you know. Why aren't there workers? Well, have you tried paying them more? Um, I mean, what, what, if if not through the the incredible disruption of a pandemic, not to mention all the political and social um, disruption you've had in the US, if not if that's not going to force the change, what the, the, then? What? Nothing. Nothing. Um, you have gigantic companies. Um, like Chipotle and, you know, publicly traded stock companies that are restaurant groups are seen as restaurant groups that I have to compete with on my side being an independent. Um, and on a category level, we're the same. So um, if they can rake in, you know, if the CEO of that company can make $44 million a year and pay people like garbage, then I have to what make up for that. You know, I have to pay people more just to be on message or be cool or be new it's not, it's not fair. Um, it's not fair to me. It's not fair to employees. It's not fair to workers. It's not fair to anybody. Um, because they really set the market. Uh, and if that's the bigger, you know, fast food chains and all these other people are are doing it, I can only do so much. You know, it's, it's like with climate change, how everybody's, you get told and I get told to do like plastic straws and recycle bags. Meanwhile, you have oil companies out in the water, you know, lighting oil on fire. Like it's no big deal. You have billionaires going to space. Like it's no big deal. Um, but my plastic straw, I get chastised if I don't use it, you know what I mean? Or I use it. And it's just, it's ridiculous because it really feels helpless. Um, you know, if I employ a max of eight to 10 people, well, that's eight to 10 people that get paid. Well, that doesn't mean an entire workforce of 20, 30 million people in the hospitality industry are going to be paid. Well, I can't, I can't rock the boat that much. My Twitter account can only do so much. I can only tell so many people to fuck off, you know, uh, <laughs> and that's really what it comes down to, you know, and, and, and honestly on, on a level of me saying things or having an impact or whatever else, it doesn't change anything. It's not going to change an investor going into a company. It's not going to change, um, you know, a CEO that makes $44 million a year, it's not going to change it. Jeff Bezos, who makes a hundred billion dollars and is worth that much. They're not going to change anything, you know? Um, so that's, you know, that's disheartening, but that's just reality. So are you sort of constantly in this balance between, well, I'm just going to do everything I can and fuck it. It's too broken. Yeah. I, I mean, if I'm not, I'm not worth 
a, you know, $10,000. <laughs> so I don't really carry a lot of weight. You know, I'm not a trendsetter. I'm not this person. I'm, I'm not a well-funded anything. Um, so there's no reason to listen to me on a, on a industry or hospitality level. Yeah, it sounds cool. It sounds cool. Like I, I, I do things and I, and I, and I make them work, but when it comes down to the people who actually make money in this industry, it's, it doesn't carry any weight. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because if, um, you know, I feel like you're talking not just in a little bubble. Um, I mean, I'm listening to you and I'm all the way over the other side of the world. And I find that the kinds of things that you talk about, you know, thought provoking and, you know, really worthwhile. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's not, it's not nothing and you are, you are getting attention, but I'm not, I'm not trying to give you a pep talk. I'm just no, trying to work my way through, through this. I, yeah. I guess I'll just put it this way. There's not people racing to uh, give me money to scale my ideas. I'll just say that, you know what I mean? That's just, that's not happening. Um, but if somebody said, Hey, here's this publicly traded fast food company, um, they're going to do great. They're going to make ghost kitchens. They're going to eliminate workforce. That's where people are putting their money into um, things like software as a service, you know, that kind of eliminates an extra person like an Uber eats or a caviar or Grubhub or any of those kinds of things. That's where people are putting their money into, you know, the idea of paying people more isn't a scalable idea, you know, so there, there's nobody's going to say like, Hey, I'm going to give you a ton of money. Why don't you pay your employees more? <laughs> that sounds like a bad investment on their side. Um, mm. their, their goal is going to be, I'm going to give you money to build this business. How can we make the business more profitable? And that's a one, you know, idea of investing money into something. How can the investor get their money back? Otherwise, you know, restaurants need to be put into nonprofit <laughs> and, or they need to be like a community center at that point. Uh, because if their idea is to redistribute their money to their employees on a high and prioritized basis there it's impossible to do, you know, and that's impossible to get money and funding from it's all based on percentages too. So if you go to a bank and say, I want to take out a loan to do this and here's my business plan, they're going to say, you know, your labor's out of whack. <laughs> that's not right. That's not how this works. Um, and I've been, I've been in this conversation. I've been turned down for loans. I've been turned down by investors um, I don't have investors right now. I've had to go it alone all this way. Um, so that's where you find the edge for me where I'm like, yeah, fuck everybody. <laughs> you know, um, I'll do it this way and, and we'll see where we end up. You know, maybe there's a next generation of someone like me that listens to me and can get the funding and go on with it. But I don't, I don't think it's going to end up being something where I end up changing things. Mm, interesting. Well, I'd love to, let's just, you know, pluck one sort of hot button topic and that's uh, 11 Madison Park choosing to go to a plant-based menu, um, which I guess got a lot of attention um, in, in, you know, people have put a positive spin on it saying, well, that's a kind of, you know, they're shining attention on vegetarian eating. Perhaps it's a, there's an environmental edge to it. Perhaps they want to be really sustainable. Um, what's your take on that? Um, it's bullshit. Uh, it's, it's just bullshit. Um, if you're going to redo your business and look at, you know, coming back from the pandemic, um, and you want to trim costs and you want to trim the cost of your food and the things you make, it's a really good way to spin it. Um, because your vegetables are going to be your least effective and less cost things, uh, rather than proteins. So 
I wouldn't be surprised if he did something like Alain Passard where he comes in and he does it for a few years, says, Hey, I'm the you know king of vegetables. I'm the shit. And then starts adding uh, duck and meats as supplements. Uh, because at that point they have a good ve- vegan vegetarian menu. And then, Hey, on top of this thing of vegetables, you can add a whole duck, you know, you can add a five Wagyu, you can add whatever, whatever, whatever. Then at that moment, it's, you know, it's additional revenue that the restaurant received and that would be their play. Um, that's what I see happening because there's other restaurants that have done the exact same thing. Um, because honestly, if he really gave a shit, he would have started it that way to begin with. Um, and there are plenty of restaurants out in the world. There are plenty of people out in the world, um, that believe in plant-based vegan vegetarian cuisine. And that's kind of like, I guess the cross they die on the entire time. It just doesn't come off as a PR game. Uh, and I feel like this is, this is what it is. It's what it is. It's mm-hmm. just an attention thing. Um, it gives them an opportunity, you know, before, the top 50 stuff, they retired 11 Madison Park as a previous concept and said, hey, they couldn't get number one anymore. That's not good enough for Daniel Hum. He opened something in London. Um, and then he's you know reinventing the wheel here at this one uh, because Noma did the same thing too. They closed, they moved, and then they were able to get back on the you know, top 50 again. So this is just all about ego and getting on top of a list and feeling like you're the king of the world. And there's a lot of people that fall for that shit. Um, there's a lot of people that are excited about it. There's a lot of people who, you know, now that Daniel's doing it, they're going to be like, oh, my God, this is the best fucking vegan food and vegetarian food. I've never understood anybody cooking a vegetable before. I mean, that's more (laughs) of a show rather than understanding how simple it is. Interesting. Um, Yeah, it would be interesting to see if Mate sneaks back into that into that uh, restaurant. That definitely be. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah, I could see that happening. Uh, okay, I want to let's hit another um, hot button topic. So, uh, you know, as part of the Me Too movement, there's been a lot of um, chefs that have been called out for bad behaviour, and you know, there's been a lot of toxic culture through the restaurant industry, through society in general, and of course, that still continues. In your city of Seattle, one of the most prominent chefs, Eduardo Jordan, has had his own reckoning in recent times, and this is a question I want to ask you about. Uh, about the way that the media um, puts chefs on pedestals. Can you just talk us through for people who may, who may not know um, of what's happened? Can you just talk through quickly what's happened with that and your spin on how the media could do things better? Um, yeah, it's, you know, Seattle's a really white town. Um, <laughs> I think that's all it comes down to. Um, you know, you had a, a black chef that kind of came up through here, moved from Florida, kind of set his mark on things. Um, and the media here, uh, again, is very white as well. Um, they wanted to celebrate him, even though they've really never celebrated other Black-owned restaurants. Um, and so it's just kind of, it's them creating a facade, and that's what they've been doing for the last three or four years without really getting to know the behind the scenes of what the restaurant is. Um, you know, he won Best New Restaurant. He won Best you know Chef Northwest for James Beard. He's been featured on every little list up and down. Uh, but the problem is, is that if you don't have anybody else in that cycle of black owned restaurants, uh, it makes you look like shit. Uh, and that's exactly what's happening now uh, because the media here doesn't have anybody else they can point to. Um, and it shows extremely how white it is here. So that's, that's part of it. The other part of it is wanting to cons- consistently push something um, 
you know, that's different than the norm. You know, the majority of the people who they've always voted for here for James Beard Awards have always been white. Um, you know, there's a restaurant here that's been around for 70 years that are fine dining. Um, and they just recently hired a woman to be chef uh, of the space, and they were so proud of themselves. But, you know, if you've been around for 70 years and you've never hired a manager, meaning like an executive chef or a GM or anything like that as a woman, that's not a good thing. Uh, and it's not something that should be celebrated, but it's basically just everybody's patting themselves on the back for doing bullshit minimum stuff. Um, and, and it's not okay. You know, I, I, it's, it's, I, I hate to be like the person that sits here and says like, Hey, I'm the person to point it out, but it's just, it's, it's really fucking obvious to me. Uh, it's not something where I'm sitting there going, oh, okay, cool. They're just trying to check boxes, you know, and it's, it's whether he deserved to, to win those awards or not. Um, the guy had a reputation even before, being his own restaurateur of being a scumbag of touching people inappropriately of, you know, treating his employees like shit. So it's just, it's like whoever wants to hear or whoever wants to talk about or whoever wants to crown the guys being the best around um, whatever. And however they got to that point, that's what really needs to be investigated um, because it's going to continue on, you know, it's going to continue on. We had a, you know, the show top chef here in America and the guy ended up, Going by. Um, the guy that ended up winning, you know, they ended up finding out like a month or so after they filmed the show, he was, you know, doing the same kind of shit. And, you know, the show here, they didn't really say anything about it until it came out. They're like, oh, yeah, we're going to investigate now. But it was six or seven months later. It's just a continuous cycle. It's, it's these guys just do it. They know they can get away with it. You know, Eduardo is going to probably open his restaurant again. There's going to be people that are cool with it. There's another restaurant here called Willow's Inn. And, you know, they were in the New York Times for doing this kind of shit, and their restaurant's full. <laughs> you know, th- th- there's no repercussions from this shit. And that's that's the stuff that is really frustrating because there's a, a bunch of employees that are scarred for life um, that are going to have to deal with all this stuff forever. Um, and, and who knows how bad it's going to be for them, and that's the problem. It's not going to be as bad as that for the people who hurt, you know. So it's just going to continue on, and... It, maybe those are the two prominent people here in Seattle, but there's plenty more behind them uh, that have been getting there with the shit forever. Yeah, it's uh, so I guess what you're saying is there's a problem with tokenistic representation, people trying to, um, you know, ha- people trying to represent people from um, people of color or whether it's women. Um, uh, but you can get into trouble if you don't do your due diligence. Yep. And I think that's what it is. It's, it's, you know, being passed around by the PR person or being passed around by the chef without looking behind the layers. And that's what a lot of it happens. You know, I've, fuck, I've done a lot of interviews and I've had actual people, you know, talk to my employees, <laughs> you know, and see how things are for real. And, you know, it's not, it's not easy to work here, but I'm not sitting here choking people out, throwing shit at them or like touching them. Um, it's a job. It's not ideal at the end of the day. Um, it's just, <laughs> you know, if I didn't have to work, I wouldn't be working. If they didn't have to work, they wouldn't be working. So it's just, it sucks, you know? Um, but those guys are all extreme, you know, they're extreme to being like, they don't even treat their space like a restaurant. They just teach it. They treat it like a buffet for people and they can get whatever they want. They treat it like that. So I'm just thinking, you know, myself as a food journalist, what's what kind of due diligence would you expect from somebody like me who, um, I mean, let's say like I'm interviewing you, what kind of due diligence should I be doing to make sure that you're just not a really toxic dude? Yeah, I mean, 
it's just like anything else, like fact checking. I mean, there's there's things that I say that can, anybody can check. There's ex employees that people can reach out to. There's you know managers. There's other businesses. There's surrounding area. Hey, what have you heard? Have you heard this or that? You know, it could be from hey, you know, Eric's hard to work for to whatever. Um, but you know, with guys like Eduardo, um, it was for years people knew that stuff in the industry. Um, mm. But it, it's it's hard because it's not it's not the story for me to tell. Like sure. I had ex, ex employees, I had ex employees coming to me of his ex employees come to work for me, and I was like, oh, how are things there? That sounds like pretty cool. Like you guys were winning everything and whatever. And they're like, it's not like that. It was really like this, this, and this. And, and you know, I don't want to give their information about them. It's their story, right? Sure. Um, so it's like you listen to that and you go, holy shit, <laughs> you know, so what do you do with that? You know, on, on my side, it's like, well, do I go on Twitter and blast the guy out or fucking yell at him or whatever? That doesn't solve anything. And it puts a lot of victims in a bad spot, <laughs> um, meaning like the people who work for me currently, um, you know, so it's not, again, it's not my story to tell. It's not my place to go on it. Um, but, you know, as far as when the people who, called him out in articles and said, Hey, here's what happened. It was really bad. I mean, the first thing that a lot of people do is they're so programmed to saying like, Oh, well wait, let's see if we have the facts straight. And I don't know if I believe him or they're probably trying to get something out of him because he's successful. And that's like programmed as so many people, you know, it's a generational like masculine trait that people have and they cover for people like that. And it's just kind of crazy. Um, because, you know, I don't, I, I, you know, I've, I've worked in restaurants that were very angry and, I've been thrown around kitchens. I've had shit thrown at me. Um, I've been pushed. I've been like punched. I've been <laughs> everything. I've been burned on purpose. I've, I like all of that shit, you know? Um, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, and you know, I can say, Oh yeah, well that's the times when I was coming up or the things that I was doing then. It, it, it's just fucking insane because it's like, well, I don't do that shit in my current, like, or did when I was a manager, I didn't do any of that stuff. I didn't fucking like throw pots and pans at people. I didn't burn people. I didn't throw water on them. There was this, I got interviewed for BBC world about Tom kitchens and fucking Gordon Ramsay. And it was like, these guys are fucking insane. You know, the shit they were getting away with. And I'm like, well, what are you guys going to do about it? Nobody's going to do anything about it. You know, Michelin's now just starting to talk about, Oh, well, if we hear about it, we might do an investigation. But, you know, they still get their little plaque in the mail that says one star, two star, three star. It doesn't fucking change anything. You know, they still get awards. They still go on TV. It, you know, t- uh, Gordon Ramsay has made billions of dollars for people by putting someone's head inside of a sandwich and asking them if, if they're an idiot sandwich. And people laugh. That's, that's entertainment, you know. And so when you see shit like that and you understand that that guy has made – billions of dollars for other people globally where's the bad part come in Mm. i mean the story about eduardo jordan was meticulously researched the story that broke it and you know it was a year-long investigation it was you know sure people can say oh i don't believe them you know um they get trying to you know whatever people cannot believe it but to to me it was it was it it really it, it was deep it was broad it was courageous you know really it really went there to me as a journalist what I think is wow they 
were really well resourced to do that. I mean, they were dogged. They kept going. They went deeper. They spoke to people numerous times. There's also, I mean, part of the problem is the resourcing of journalism. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think a freelance person is going to go out too much and say, okay, I'm going to take a year to do this. That's just not going to happen. And and that an editor has to say, well, yes, you know, even though part of – you know, part of what we get our, our clicks from and our sales from and our advertising from is the valorizing of restaurants and the valorizing of chefs. Um, and add yeah. dollars, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that and that we're going to pull someone down off their pedestal through, a, you know, a resource-intensive piece of journalism. I mean, that's a courageous call that not every editor will make. Right. So, I mean, it's I, I guess it's just a, the whole ecosystem is problematic. Yeah, I mean... I look at right out the gate, you know, I look at when 11 Madison Park comes back to play or these other big name chefs come back to play. Articles get put out about what they're doing and what they're opening and what they're expanding upon, Um, you know, coming out of the height of the pandemic, I guess, or however, whatever you want to say about it. Um, And it's pretty rare that any of those like PR pieces will say, well, all these guys laid off hundreds of thousands of employees (laughs) and they haven't gone back to like check on them or take care of them or do anything, but Hey, here's a new restaurant, right? Cool. (laughs) You know, it just is constant cycle. And it's like, there's really holding nobody accountable for anything. There really is. And, And that's the, that's the part that sucks because yeah, then you have, okay. So then you have a journalist that takes the PR, you know, the press release and goes, Oh, I, you know, this person's opening a new story. It's up to them, I guess, or whoever at at the space to say like, oh yeah, by the way, are we going to add that they laid off 1,200 employees before we say, here they're opening up a new restaurant? Like, what what is that? Is is there a rule for that? Probably not. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's really unique coming out. You know, being in a pandemic, there's no new rules for people. There's no way to be like, hey, these people are bullshit. <laughs> You know, oh, this person just really, you know, received $10 million in restaurant relief funds. And they're talking about hiring again at, you know, pre-pandemic hourly rate, not even following inflation or anything like that. And yeah, but they're opening back full speed. That just doesn't work. That doesn't work. Yeah, I definitely think there is a responsibility for um, for journalists to look beyond press releases to the broader picture and to try to put things in context. I think, you know, there are so many ways in which it would be a shame to waste this, you know, rolling crisis that we're all in. And, right. um, yeah, I mean, I, I sort of feel like that's what you're trying to do is you're just trying to, like, like, can we at least draw a line here? Oh, okay, not there. What about, can we at least draw it here? Yeah. Okay, well, if not that, then here. <laughs> can we just draw a line somewhere? Yeah, it just feels like I'm at a really stupid auction, honestly. You know what I mean? I'm just like, how about $5? No, you won't take that? Okay, how about 6 <laughs> You know, it's like just hoping for something to happen. Um, because I'll tell you, like all the way on my other side, it's, constantly being turned down for investing and constantly being turned down for a lot of things, never being, you know, uh, nominated for James Beard awards and knowing parts or pieces of these people and what they do. It's, it's sickening. It's depressing. (laughs) Um, it's really like a kick in the head because I'm sitting here going like, but I'm trying to do, and I am doing all, and I'm, it's not just me going like, 
hey guys, climate change, and then I'm going to the fucking moon or whatever. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's like it's crazy because it just gets old, you know. And I'm I'm not a I'm not a fucking 22 year old kid, you know. And so it's just it's like a point where I'm like, is the industry too broken? And that's why I ask myself all the time. I was like, if this shit is just too broken, do I need to keep fucking calling people out? Is it because honestly, sometimes it annoys my I annoy myself. You know what I mean? Like, I just go, shit, are you really going to post this? And I, like, have this little internal stupid conversation with myself, and I'm like, fuck it, send it. You know, like, <laughs> if I had to pay a dollar for each tweet, maybe I'd think about it more, but I'm like, yeah, fuck it, this is free, fuck them. <laughs> you know, I, I deal with the repercussions somehow. Maybe, you know, Lexus won't give me a call to sponsor me for some shit, or KitchenAid won't, you know, none of that stuff's happening anyway, so fuck it. If nothing's happening, might as well go to nothing. You know, and, that, and and that's I'm not trying to get anything out of it, but I'm like I'm so frustrated by the whole thing that it just gets old trying to have to work through it and work around it. You know, having to work 20 times as hard just to see a tenth of the success. Um, and I know there's tons of people that feel that way too, and it's just it's it's disheartening. Mm. But I mean, in the meantime, you are creating, you are serving customers, you are taking yeah. pleasure in food and, you know, the, the menus that you create and recreate and, and recreate constantly. So maybe, uh, do you want to just give us, give me a bit of an insight if I, um, if I was vaccinated and was able to get a reservation, what kind of experience would uh, you put on for me at Addo? I mean, I have like four or five different things. Uh, they're all different. Um, I say different because they're all different. Um, <laughs> but they change every night um, from Puerto Rican food to family style tasting menu for six people to a two seat chef's counter to all these other things that I'm doing. Um, the menu is never the same. It's basically just like improvisational jazz. It really is something different every time. It feels unique. It's intimate. Um, it's, it really is. I, I, you know, I've been around the world eating and I've worked at three Michelin star level restaurants and higher positions, not just like a fucking chef de partie that picks herbs all day. Um, I've, I've been at the top of the food chain in those places. And this is truly like, I've basically created a unique space and a place and experience for the people that dine here. And it's, it's fun. You know, that's really like the time where I can throw my phone away and not have to worry about, shit <laughs> mm. um or even now like i would say over the past year people kind of it's it's weird because people send me articles and they're like what do you think about this that's weird you know um and i'm like do you want me to send it to you in this private message or like do you is that am i supposed to like tweet about this or like what what the fuck is this <laughs> am i like a late night show person now all right um, it, it's like i don't i don't know um, I don't know, but you know, on the other side, I've also learned that kind of like when you have a platform and people are paying attention, um, there's a lot of people that wish they could say things and can't. So I just kind of put it out there and, you know, there's like on impressions level for Twitter, it's like two to 4 million people every week that look at my dumb thing, you know? So it's like, wow. If I'm, yeah. <laughs> So if I'm saying all this kind of stuff, I mean, obviously somebody's listening, whether they hate it or they don't. Um, so I guess somebody's paying attention to it. I don't really know who. I mean, I can see who follows me, but there's other people that read it. Um, so, I mean, cool, right? Uh, I, did, I hope it makes a difference for somebody. <laughs> That's all, you know, but it's not it's not really my intention to, to be like this voice, you know? Yeah. So, um 
tell me a bit more about the food. Like if I come in this weekend, what, what kind of dish might you serve me? Um, I'm seafood's peaking right now. So I have a lot of Northwest style uh, seafood. So um, halibut, all wild stuff, not cultivated. So um, salmon, we have like five different types running right now. Uh, ling cod, true cod, black cod, <laughs> clams, mussels, oysters, Dungeness crab. I mean, it's the majority of the menu is seafood right now, um, which is nice for people because in lockdown, um, people kind of suck at cooking fish. <laughs> so this is good that they can actually have it in a restaurant setting and they don't have to worry about ruining it. Um, so that's nice. Um, yeah. My menu is really consistent of right now of things that people couldn't cook for themselves or see over the past year-ish. Um, and I'm, I kind of make it a point to, like, show them that, which is cool. And what's the feeling like in the restaurant for these six to eight people who are lucky enough to come? Are they just delighted to be there? Yeah, I mean, they're excited. Um, you know, a lot of them have actually had to see my tweets and <laughs> my communication. Um <laughs> So, you know, it's been a range of, like, I'm never doing dining stuff again to, oh, yeah, now I'm doing dining stuff to, cool, it's like this now, and, oh, we have to, might have to go back this way. And so they've been essentially part of the process. Um, I, I mean, for them, it's cool. They're, they're, I haven't had anybody complain or say it's shit, so that's fun. Um, that's ideal. <laughs> um, I saw you actually had some customers come two nights in a row just because I yeah. wanted to see what was different than the second night. Yeah, they, they'd never been in. So um, that was really cool because they get to see, like, more of a range of the stuff I can do um, because I don't think a lot of people really trust that I really am making each menu different. Um, <laughs> so I think that was a really expensive way of calling me out on it. Um, and <laughs> for them <laughs> and I was and you know and on the second night they were like well this is really even better than the first night I didn't think that was possible um so you know that's a cool that's a cool pat on the back moment but I'm I'm just happy that they were able to come back and be here you know it's nice um you know a year ago I didn't think it was going to be possible honestly so yeah so there's some kind of progress at least yeah I mean progress is here I'm controlling that in my space um I made a decision not to worry about what's happening on the outside because everybody's paying attention to like the dumbest people possible right now. Um, <laughs> a lot of attention is going to people who can get a vaccine and don't want to because, you know, they Googled enough times that it's going to be bad for them. Um, so it's, it's just, I don't want to deal with those people or acknowledge them. Honestly. Um, I, I tell people all the time, I was like, you know, there's 600,000 people that have died in the U S and to me, you know, the people that keep denying it or saying COVID is a hoax or whatever are dead to me. So add them to the fucking list. Wow. I mean, I think from, from the Australian perspective, like we're very under-vaccinated. Um, okay. Half the country's in lockdown. Yeah. It's um, all gone pretty messy. Um, yeah. There's this impression that we have that, you know, the rest of the world is vaccinated and reopening and living their best lives. But I think when you start to look at the news a little more closely, it's really, it's really not like that. No, it's, 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 it's just like, um, it's going to like a, a you know, Universal Studios in Hollywood and then the front of the building looks cool and then behind it, it's plywood and nothing. Um, that's exactly what we're doing right now. Um, you know, and you look at something like now the Olympics going live here in like a week or so, um, 
you have essentially the most healthy <laughs> people walking into a fucking nightmare for no reason uh, with options available of just canceling it, but they're still powering on through it for no reason. Um, and that just goes to show, you know, the, the stupidity of it all. Um, even have nations that are going there to compete um, that can't even get vaccines or have really low amount of vaccines, but they're going to go run <laughs> against other countries and hopefully win something. It's just, it's, it's a shitty competition, you know? It's really the wrong people going into space to where they could possibly get some perspective on this crazy little planet. Um, yeah. yeah. I, just, I, just, I just honestly, like, I have no problems with Jeff Bezos going to, to space. I just wish that they'd leave him there. Uh, Eric, I cannot think of a better note to leave things on. Um, it's been really wonderful to catch up with you. Uh, always thought-provoking and, yeah, uh, I'll be one of your two to four million impressions a week on Twitter um, and I look forward to the distant future when I'm able to visit you in Seattle. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.